Hallowed and hushed be the place of the dead. Step softly, bow head. Tonight I share the story of the mysterious lady who visited Harrisburg, Kentucky one night and danced her life away. And Jen shares the story of the Greenbrier ghost of West Virginia. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Hometown Haunts Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Clogo, and along with me on this exploration into the unknown are my friends Jen Kohler and Christina Wald. How is everyone doing? It's the post-Halloween blues. Yeah, every, everything's been fine. Just, uh, you know, pa- lots of painting. Lots of painting. Mm-hmm. Jen, I, know, I, I never say anything different. Always lots of painting. I am feeling much better after getting COVID on Halloween. Yay. Mm. For the first time ever. That's not a trick or a treat. No, I was really hoping I would be the last person on earth to get it. But I wasn't. <laughs> um, and then it was snowing on Halloween here. That made me laugh so much. I'm sorry, everyone. Which hasn't happened in a very, very, very long time. Not since 1993. Oh my god, I didn't even live here then. But it was it was kind of fun. (laughs) And we didn't get any trick or treaters this year. I don't know if it was the weather. We got. uh, We don't ever usually get that many. We're next to a very busy road, but last year we had a lot for us. Like I think we had like 30 last year, and this year there were none. Oh wow. We had six, <laughs> and there were all people That's that it. lived either on my street or the street next to me. And uh, but all the trick or treating happened in the town center in the okay. valley. Okay. Because I live on a mountain. Mm-hmm. This mountain has two active bear families on it, mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, basically walking around with bags of food sounds like a terrible idea. Yeah, with <laughs> teeny tiny little ones. Families. Yeah. No. So um, basically people just walked around um, and looked at people's decorations. Mm -hmm. So we had a screaming banshee. So I guarantee anybody who came into our yard was safe from bear attack because no one's approaching the banshee. (laughs) And then we also have big and little Mac and little Mac Mm -hmm. talks all the time. Oh, cool. So we had a few people pass by and wave, but they didn't come up and trick or treat. We only had Mm -hmm. six official trick or treaters. Well, I think people bad. are doing it less. I th- yeah. I, There's I, a lot of more community trick-or-treating down in yes. like towns or trunken treats. Yeah. It's also really popular. There was one that we missed that was where you could take your kid and your dogs mm-hmm. going around in a barn. That was, I, I'm sad we missed that one, but we needed a new water heater that day. So, yeah. Yeah. I think it just oh. depends on the community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, that's true. My sister knows all of her neighbors, and it's like a huge social. I, there was one house we stopped at that had a fire going. They're like, "Hey, you want a beer?" Mm-hmm. Uh, no, but thank you. And my brother-in-law and his friend that yeah. was with us, they just sat there, chatted, and had a beer. <laughs> yeah, you well, know? yeah. There's a lot of, like neighborhood parties and stuff, yeah. and, and yeah. 
like further down our street, sometimes a bunch of the parents do stuff like that. Although mm-hmm. I didn't notice it this year. I mean, I t- I was teaching, so I wasn't here. Yeah. Right. But was I, I think really that bad, though. I think that people just like, especially if it was as cold as it was that day, they just yeah. don't do it. Was it. also a Tuesday. Yeah. And it's hard to get into Halloween spirit <laughs> on a Tuesday. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. especially when you have to go to school the next day and kids have to do homework that night or. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, it well, was. It was fun. It was fun seeing how Halloween's done here. There were people that had bonfires out, like what you were describing, where they were drinking and then handing out candy. Mm-hmm. My old neighborhood in Cincinnati, we did the same thing. We had a bonfire and everyone on the street was basically around the bonfire. Mm-hmm. And the kids that would trick or treat would just basically go to us and go around the fire, like a trunk or treat, basically, getting all the mm-hmm. treats from all of us. Oh, cool. And we would just get... I would make a hot apple cider and uh, good. Yeah, Mm. I love Halloween. I do every day. Some neighborhoods still get, I mean, a lot of people go to different neighborhoods too. When my mom lived close to you, Jen, they Mm. would get Mm -hmm. hundreds of trick-or-treaters where Mm. where she was. Um, I would get a lot too, but but we don't have a sidewalk either. We don't have a sidewalk and we're not we're on a busy road. Um, and so people tend not, sometimes people come up this far, but not that many. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 My old neighborhood, I got tons and you know, the kids were just the year I got egged. I'm like, okay, no more candy for you ever. No. And I lived there for 13 years. So. Wow. Yeah. And mm-hmm. the new place, I'm not sure. I only know of like one child that lives in my building and I'm not <laughs> sure if they, trick-or-treated here or not um if they do i would totally hand out a bunch of candy but you know i since i go over to my sister's every year that's just my routine yeah, yeah. we yeah. gave out pokemon cards oh we nice. did, someone did too and mm-hmm. i'm like oh that's cool yeah that's it's fun. just yeah each set came with three cards and we bought them in bulk from costco and they're all halloween themed oh, pokemon okay so we were very popular with the yeah, that that came by. Yeah, yeah. Was, and we're it, just like we have so many. Just take a handful. So there was kids that like took ten. Yeah, so like yeah, sure, take him. Yeah, bye. That's <laughs> a good idea. They don't yeah, expire. And uh, have seen that a lot with like um, toys, like mm-hmm. cheap little toys for kids, mm-hmm. or um, yeah, just stuff that's different than candy, which is kind yeah. of fun but at the same time you kind of want the candy <laughs> yeah it's depends on the kid i guess yeah it, yeah little dude has not actually had too much of the candy he mm-hmm. he liked the act of going and getting it mm-hmm. but now he's just like eh, i don't really yeah. want to eat it i'm not really we still have candy from last year that never was eaten yeah so... my nephew and my nibbling Sam are the same. They're both the mm-hmm. same. They don't eat it all. I'm like, I eat it all like the first night. Like, what is wrong with you children? Yeah. <laughs> Good parenting, I guess. <laughs> yeah. It was very different. Yeah. Different way of doing it from when we were all kids. But... Yeah. Oh, man. Well, and I'm a sugar fiend. I'm like, I couldn't Well, I think, I think that kids aren't saturated in sugar as much as they used to be. And right. when I grew up in the 80s when there were sugared cereals. Same. Now, my mom never mm-hmm. bought them. So I was always envious of the kids that got we the got the Aldi version. Oh, did you? 
we always had the Aldi version. And honestly, yeah. I'm a little mad that they don't still have it because that's what I remember and that's what I want. Yeah. It, but they don't have them anymore. I got They've the DFS fancy. version. Uh -huh. Gordon's food services. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's like everything is slightly more stale and less flavorful mm -hmm. than the name brand versions. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's there's a it was a little hot fudge Sunday. This is not Halloween candy, but on that note, there's a little hot fudge Sunday that came in an individual package that was extremely mm -hmm. cheap vanilla ice cream and extremely cheap fudge on top and it would come with a little wooden spoon yeah. Yeah. Oh, I remember those. Yeah. we yeah. used to get those as treat in school as treats in school yeah and I, I haven't seen them in decades so they were dreadful so they were I, I miss them. yeah i mean i i remember a lot of that pre-packaged stuff that was popular and it was like why do people eat this this is yeah. too memorable remember the squeeze it yes yes oh man squeeze it uh, squeeze it can't yeah, you still get those? Some of them, yeah. I don't know. I, I know I saw them about at least five years ago at a grocery store. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. So there's a in a lot more variety now. There's a lot more juices for kids that have less sugar. Mm -hmm. It's just I think it's good they're raising kids without so much sugar anymore. Because yeah. I, 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 I think it's ultimately been not good. Yeah, have so much sugar, and, and maybe that's fun. why you know in some areas Halloween might be not be as popular. And the Pokemon cards are a great idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then there's a lot of food allergies, which people are a lot more aware of now. Mm -hmm. Oh, my yeah. sister always has a separate bowl. Yep, an allergy and non-allergy one. Yep. Yeah. yeah, the teal pumpkins. So, all right. Well, yeah, shall we get I mean... into the show? We got only two show announcements. They're no different from last week, which is. I have a comic. It's up on Webtoon for free. It's called Spiritus Maximus Resurrected. It updates every Friday. Please read it and tell me what you think. And then on March 2nd of 2024 is the second annual Frogman Festival in Loveland, Ohio. And you can find more information at frogmanfestival.org. So cool. let's Yay. get into our episode. So my portion, I am bringing you tonight... <laughs> For the Midnight Society, I feel like. Uh, the Dancing La Lady of Harrodsburg, Kentucky. So the sources for tonight, on my part, are Medium.com, The City of Harrodsburg, The Harrodsburg Herald, and Fox 56 News and Weird Kentucky. So, ah, sitting atop a mineral spring, the Graham, Graham Springs Hotel, later known as the Harrodsburg Springs Hotel in Harrodsburg, Kentucky, was once known as a Mecca of Southern society. Believing that the mineral spring water that bubbled up from the earth contained healing properties, Dr. Christopher Columbus Graham opened the hotel in 1819. Ex existing records are a little foggy, but we kind of know a little bit about the hotel. What is known is that the hotel enjoyed its heyday between the 1830s and 1840s, where our story begins. Between May to October of every year, guests would visit the hotel in central Kentucky to partake in the waters, they say. This was not a hotel you would just visit for a few days or a weekend and then go home. This was one of those hotels where you would stay a few weeks or even months because you are partaking of the healing waters to heal whatever ailment you had. According to legend, one day, sometime in the 1840s, 
a young woman named Virginia Stafford checked into the hotel claiming to be the daughter of Judge Stafford in Louisville and that he would be arriving soon after her. Soon after checking in, she descended the hotel staircase to participate in the dance being held at the ballroom of the hotel that night. During the evening's dance, the lighting of the hall was dimmed to add to the ambiance while couples filled each other's dance cards. Virginia was said to be a very pretty young lady in her 20s who danced passionately for hours with many dance partners throughout the festivities. Men at the party remembered how she would remark that this was the happiest night of her life and how she never sat down or took a rest. At the end of the night, when the lights came back up, to her partner's horror, Virginia was found dead in his arms. Hotel staff searched her room, looking for items to identify her relatives. But the only items she had with her were the suitcase and the clothes that she arrived in. Judge Strafford was contacted in Louisville, but said he didn't have a daughter named Virginia. It turned out the young lady had checked in using a false name. After a week of trying to identify the tragic woman, staff laid her to rest on the hotel property in a stone coffin. By the early 1850s, a story of the dancing lady's ghost was already being spread by Dr. Christopher Columbus Graham himself around the town. It was said that the guests and the staff would see a phantom lady dancing around the spring house in her nearby grave. In 1853, the, the hotel was sold to the U.S. government to be used as a veterans hospital. Three years after that, the main building burned down. Another fire tore through the hospital in 1864, and a final fire in the 1880s burned down what buildings had remained. The dancing lady's ghost was blamed for all these fires engulfing the, and the un, ultimately destroying the hotel's old buildings. In 1938, Joe Sewell from Taswell, Tennessee, claimed that the dancing lady was his estranged life, Molly Black Sewell. Tired of her philandering husband, Molly had left him and traveled to the hotel where she tragically died. However, this was proven to be false when letters from Molly were found to have, been, have used the Confederate stamps, meaning they were sent between 1861 to 1865 when the Confederate States of America existed. 20 years after the death of Virginia Stafford, and not to mention the property was no longer used as a hotel by the 1860s and had been converted to a hospital, with both the main building and the outbuildings being burned down by that time. However, if you search Find a Grave, her grave is still listed as Molly the Dancing Lady Black Sewell. The Dancing Lady's cases have interested amateur and professional sleuths for decades. Various researchers, two in particular, Todd Matthews, the program director of the Doe Network, and Dr. Lynn Smelster, Smel I'm sorry, Dr. Lynn, Dr. Lynn Smelzer, have been working on the case. The Doe Network is an organization created to help the missing and unidentified people. Dr. Smelzer has found stories where the dancing lady did not arrive alone that fateful day, but her companion abandoned her after she was she collapsed. Another story said that a man asked to be alone with the dancing lady, but fled the scene after she was found dead. Unearthed rumors of Dr. Christopher Columbus Graham's nephew, Dr. Robert Graham, or we're just going to call him Robert, was staying at the hotel at the same time as the dancing lady. 
Robert had come to visit his uncle's hotel to soak in the springs in an attempt to cure his alcoholism. Robert was a notorious alcoholic and a violent man prone to angry outbursts. Around the same time as the dancing lady was said to have died, Dr. Christopher Columbus Graham sent Robert on an all-expenses paid trip to New Orleans. Robert even found and married his wife, Mary Waterman, in New Orleans in 1845. His temper flared later on a trip to New York City, where he killed Colonel Charles Loring at the St. Nicholas Hotel on November 1st, 1854, by running him through with a sword. Although Robert was convicted of second-degree murder, he was later pardoned by the governor of New York. Before we get into the hauntings, and there are more than just seeing a mysterious woman in the park, there are a few theories as how she died. The first is that she was murdered, maybe by Robert or maybe by somebody else in attendance that night. There were also suspicions that a dancing lady died of cholera. In the 1840s, there were many epi epidemics, and this was a hotel for healing through the mineral springs there. Cholera is a deadly disease, and especially in the 19th century, before it was known that cholera was also a waterborne deadly disease. The property is now called Young's Community Park or Young's Park and still houses the grave of the dancing lady and is labeled as unknown. Sightings of the ghostly dancing lady have persisted over 180 years. One account from the 1920s details how a woman was visiting the park and was approached by a young lady who asked, can you help me please? You see, I was dancing at the Heraldsburg Springs and I've lost my way. Upon learning that the hotel had burnt down over a hundred years earlier, the young woman started crying and then disappeared. Math was not the woman's strong point in this particular story because it had not burned down a hundred years prior, but it makes for a great number. Other members of the public have also witnessed the spectral lady dancing by herself in the moonlight around the gravesite much like she was witnessed to do in the 1850s. Because of the sightings of her spirit throughout the decades, the dancing lady has become an established haunt in town. In doing research for the dancing lady's case, Dr. Smelser visited the gravesite of Dr. Christopher Columbus Graham. While there, she heard a voice say it was a mistake, it wasn't supposed to happen, before she left the site. And as she left the site, she got a sharp pain in her neck, leading Dr. Smelzer to suspect that the dancing lady's neck had been broken. In 2021, both Matthews and the, of the Doe Network and Dr. Smelzer have petitioned Monroe County, Kentucky, the local authority and the local authorities to exhume the body of the dancing lady so DNA samples could be taken and a DNA genetic profile could be constructed. Matthews has stated in an interview, she's a missing leaf on somebody's family tree. Perhaps this is why she continues to haunt the park in her moonlight dances, remind visitors that the, her case remains unsolved. So that is the dancing lady of Harrodsburg, Kentucky. One of the oldest ghost stories I've, apparently in Kentucky. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Kind of tragic. She is the oldest case in the Doe Network as well. Wow. Really? Mm -hmm. Wow. Yep. In the it entire country? Yeah, in the entire country. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. It kind of <laughs> reminds me of the fairy tale, The Red Shoes. Did you ever read it? It is very much like that, yeah. Um, it's one of the most horrifying things to ever read to a kid. Yes, it is. 
and I found it quite familiar. terrifying as a child. Um, you would have loved it. Um, <laughs> about a uh, young woman who, when she's getting her shoes to get first communion, instead of getting the black shoes she's supposed to, she gets these really bright red dancing shoes. And mm-hmm. so God punishes her by telling her whenever she wears them that she'll have to be forced to dance. And she still keeps oh, wearing yeah. them. And mm-hmm. uh, the last straw is when an angel tells her that they will now grow to her feet and she will have to dance through uh, thickets and thorns and get all cut up because she can't take her shoes off. So she goes to an executioner and he cuts her feet off and the little feet dance away. And every time she tries to go to church, the little feet dance up again. And so mm-hmm. she's afraid to go to church. And at the end, she is forgiven and dies. And Spoiler alert. In but the story that it a don't dance is the moral no, well, it, it, It's a Hans Christian Andersen fairy tale with a very strong oh, sort yeah. of, mm-hmm. I suppose, anti pride is really what it is yeah. because she's Vanity very proud. Yeah, yeah. She's supposed to be very beautiful. And because, oh. so it's sort of the opposite of many fairy tales with the beautiful people where it's like she's not modest enough. Yeah. And so she suffers greatly. Yeah. Exactly. Like, how dare you wear fashionable red shoes to church? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Wear- what? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think there's there's more to the story where she I think at first she's she gets adopted by some older woman who can't tell what kind of shoes she's buying because she can't see her. Mm. Yeah. You know, that's that's like that that's not as interesting to the central part of the story, but well, older abuse is bad. Kid. Yeah, yeah, but I'm gonna have to read that now. Yeah, yeah. you can probably read it online. I mean, it sounds vaguely familiar. I'm sure I've heard of it in some sort of form of something or other. Mm-hmm. Sort of a divine but... retribution thing. Yeah, it's so mean. <laughs> it is. I mean, I. Man. <laughs> but that, yeah. I mean, this is this sounds like it almost also could be, and I'm sure there's stories like this. Like this almost sounds like it could be a. One of those old EC comics. Yeah. It, it's just an interesting story that has persisted since the 1850s. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, we don't know if she actually danced to death. It just makes for a great story. She could have just died in the hotel and they couldn't figure out who she was. So they put her in a grave. I also think that if she did indeed dance, and I'm surprised that no one has floated this particular thought by, that she had a stroke or a heart condition. Oh, And because I've had a friend die of an acute stroke and it can hit you in your Mm twenties or she had a um, heart condition. This is saying that the rest of the story is true. She could have overworked herself and, and had a heart attack at a very young age as well. Cause she was these dances. What's what we kind of forget in our modern societies. These dances lasted for hours throughout the night. Yeah. And um, it, it was, you usually stopped around 6 a.m. when the sun came up. And uh, you, so, and you would start around probably around 9 p.m. So wow. just dancing for all that it's like time. Club kids. Yeah. yeah, it's like a club kid. Plus, we, <laughs> yeah, it, very similar to that. We don't know how much drinking was happening or what kind of drugs are being dealt <laughs> at the time. So, very true. Um, it's just, those are just lifestyle things that, I think we forget about as contemporary modern people. Cocaine these... was popular then, right? <laughs> Sorry? Cocaine was popular then, right? I think cocaine and opium. 
Mm. So, um, yeah. And then you had all those wonderful diseases floating around. Mm -hmm. Speaking Mm -hmm. like COVID, cholera was really scary. I don't think she had cholera. I don't think cholera works that fast. Mm. Like yeah. if you go, I don't think that sounds more like a stroke, or or it could be yeah. like a lot of liquor before well, yeah. USDA or any sort of inspection was pretty dangerous. Like depending on how you distilled it, could be pretty mm-hmm. poisonous. Yeah, that's true. So could... they for sure know there's a body in there. And that's, that's right? the other thing is they can't tell because it's a stone coffin. Mm. So, yeah, they, the Matthews and Dr. Smelzer have been trying since for about two years now to get permission to exhume her. And from what I could tell reading the local news stories, it's just the local city council does, is just like, this isn't really a priority. No, She's been there for 180 years. So It adds to the culture of your city. <laughs> it does add. It really it puts them on the map they're one of the first established cities in kentucky from oh, wow yeah they're an old city so yeah Maybe they're just afraid that it's gonna make the city look bad in some way who knows it could be that <laughs> or uh, it could ter- of, turn out to be really boring and they don't want to lose their myth it could be that too there's a oh, lot man. of risks to this yeah and then the fox 56 article that i read pointed out that there's a good chance that a lot of people in town are related to her so um so yeah there there's there's that as well so yeah fox 56 so, but then that would give them the history it could that that's my story so jen i love it yeah it it was a good story to read it is very much a true crime cold case with a haunt associated with it which is my particular favorite type of haunting which is when you have a True crime plus haunting. It's just like, yes, that's <laughs> ultimate. It's and well, like which is exactly what, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You, you got the ultimate true crime plus haunting, Jen. Yes. The Green Briar Ghost of West Virginia. And I apologize for any mispronunciations that may occur. Um, I'll remember my uh, sources for the first time. Before I read it, let me scroll down. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Okay. Green uh, Briar West Virginia.com is uh, a story by um, Belinda Anderson. Uh, and and I'm not sure. I think this is a news channel, W Boy. I don't know how that's pronounced. Channel 12, maybe. Um, W-Boy. W-Boy. You can have a lot of fun with that. Yeah. You are listening (laughs) to W-Boy News. Yeah. Uh, uh, A story, uh, The Green Briar Coast by Joey Rather. And the West Virginia Archives and History. Check this source out because it has actual um, newspaper articles from the time of the trial, which is cool. And then Wikipedia. Of course, always Wikipedia. All righty. Let's talk about the Green Buyer Grouse. Elva Zona Heaster is her maiden name. Uh, one day in October 1897, she met a man, man named Erasmus Stribling Trout Shoe. That is a long name. So Erasmus and Elva 
She went by Zona, apparently. Uh, they married soon after their meeting. And three months into their marriage, Zona was found dead in her new home. On the morning this issue was found, her husband, Erasmus, a blacksmith, stopped by a neighbor's house and asked the boy living there to hunt for eggs at Shu's house. Then to knock on the door and ask Mrs. Shu if she needed anything from the store. The boy did as he was asked, but when he couldn't find any eggs, he knocked on the door. No one answered, and the boy went into the home. He found Zona dead on the floor. Her body, according to the Monroe watchman, was lying stretched out, perfectly straight, with feet together, one hand laying by the side, lying by the side, and the other lying across the body. The head was slightly inc inclined to one side. The boy ran home and told his mother that Mrs. Shu was dead before going to the black blacksmith shop where he informed Mr. Shu his wife was dead. Shu arrived home and called for the doctor. When Dr. Knapp arrived, she had been dressed and laid out. She was dressed in a dress with a high, stiff collar, and when Dr. Knapp went to undo the collar to examine her neck, which had faint discolorations on the right side, Mr. Shu stopped him from further examination of the body, at which time Dr. Knapp pronounced her dead and Zona's body was taken away and buried. After Zona's death, her, mo her mother, Mary Heaster, claimed to have seen her daughter's ghost. During these visits, Zona told her mother that her husband had murdered her because he was, quote, mad that she didn't have no meat cooked for supper and that her neck was squeezed off at the first joint. Mary took her information to the authorities who asked Dr. N Knapp his uh, conclusions of cause of death. When Dr. Knapp informed them of Shu's refusal for an a full examination of the body, an, an exhumation was ordered. An autopsy found Zona's neck had been broken and her windpipe crushed, which today we all know are telltale signs of strangulation. During the trial, the defense tried to get Mary to admit that the visits from her daughter were dreams due to distress of losing her daughter. Mary stuck to her guns. She was awake and not dreaming. Zona visited her and told her about her death. And let me tell you, this woman, no matter how hard they tried, she would not. She's like, my daughter was there. I saw her. I spoke to her. And you're not going to tell me otherwise. Um, it's unclear of Mr. She's motives. He had been married twice before. His first wife, wife divorced him after abandoning her and their child. Uh, she also cited great cruelty as a reason for divorce. His second wife died under suspicious circumstances. I thought I read somewhere that she was hit in the head by a brick, but I couldn't find that again. But I thought I'd mention it because I'm like, oh, yeah, oops, honey, just stand over here a little bit to the left and I'll just drop this brick on you. Uh, Zona was his third marriage. He apparently had a goal in life to marry seven times. Why? I don't know. That's the jury a weird goal. Isn't it? Yeah, mm -hmm. I... I don't, yeah, I don't understand. Insurance money, maybe, but there's nothing that said that there was an insurance policy or anything, that he was collecting money. Or, who knows? Well, there's dowries. I don't know if oh, those that's were true. Yeah. too popular by the 1890s, but... Um, the jury convicted Shu of murder. After an hour of deliberation, it was sentenced to life in prison. He died from an own, unknown illness in 1900, just three years into his prison term. Uh, at West Virginia State Penitentiary and is buried in a local cemetery in an unmarked grave. Zona is buried in Soleil, 
Chapel Methodist Cemetery. Uh, to this day, this is known as the only case in which a testimony of a ghost helped convict a murderer. Yep. It's, it's pretty important for that. Yeah. So, it, so that source I mentioned earlier that had the newspaper, mm -hmm. uh, read it because it has the her, the mother's testimony question and answer style, and mm -hmm. it's it's an interesting read. Yeah, I bet. Um, and this was also on an episode of Drunk History. Yes. So it's a pretty famous case. It, watch it. it <laughs> yeah, it's. I think Legal Eagle also covered it on YouTube. Okay. But as a as a Halloween episode, but mm -hmm. I believe, and I am not a lawyer, so just remember this. But it does set precedent in the U.S. court system that ghosts mm -hmm. are real. Yeah. Because there's testimony about one. So the next time somebody goes, well, ghosts aren't real, you can cite the 1897 Greenbrier ghost case. Yeah. Oh, she was like, um, they are. He kept, the lawyer kept trying to say, these were just dreams, weren't they? I'm going to get you to say that they were dreams. She's like, unless I don't have dreams when I'm awake, mm -hmm. you know, I it just, <laughs> so she was so matter of fact about it. And I just love her for that because mm -hmm. you're not going to tell me otherwise. And I know what happened to my kid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, um, unfortunately, I, it makes me mad. They were married within three months. Not even, they had just met. Yep. I mean, I know times were different then, but mm -hmm. they were only, had known each other for three months before she, she died. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and it's just amazing how he, the entire thing, even if you know true crime, mm -hmm. the fact that the body was laid out, it was staged for it to be discovered. Mm -hmm. He went and told um, the neighbor kid, hey, go get some eggs. He There were no eggs there. Yeah. He knew this kid was going to go find her body. Yeah, because if someone else her finds her, then I didn't do it. Yeah, it was trying to make some plausible <laughs> deniability. And uh, it failed tremendously. Mm -hmm. And, oh, and he never admitted to doing it. His uh, apparently his family never. He didn't kill her. And mm -hmm. yeah, okay, he did. She didn't just ma miraculously, you know, strangle herself to death. No, no, not not <laughs> being found perfectly laid out, like stiff mm -hmm. as a board, with an arm out, hand on her chest right and then by the time the doctor got there to look at her she was in a completely different, different outfit. outfit yeah well and i read another story and i didn't know how wow. plausible it was that she um was actually carried upstairs to her bed to a bed oh. and was that's where the doctor um oh man but then he didn't I mean, I guess back then he had husbands were supposed to have auto autonomy over, you know, the woman's the their property. So if mm -hmm. the husband says, don't touch my dead wife, you're not touching my dead wife. Generally. So I, I guess that was probably the thinking of the doctor. I'm totally speculating on that. But the what also astounds me is that when the mom said, my daughter told me what happened after she died, you need to go find out. And the prosecutor, prosecuting attorney, attorney went and went to the doctor and they're like oh you didn't do a full examination well why the hell not yes take her out you need yeah. to look at her <laughs> well it is the you 1890s know. when the spiritualist movement was 
very strong. That's true. So that very um, true. It depends. And also, I don't know what the relationship was with the prosecutor. It, was he local? Was he like somebody that her mother knew if he would trust her testimony yeah, over anything? Say. Yeah. yeah. So if we he don't was know. Local, though. Yeah. Hmm? He was local. So then I he think. probably knew her. And like, there's, I know there's a lot of negative stuff with small towns, how they mm. can be very damaging. Mm-hmm. This is one of those cases where in the small town, it's kind of good because people trusted each other enough to go, okay, Mrs. Hester is having this. I like, this is happening to her. We know of her to be sound mind all the rest of her life. Yeah. And now she's suddenly going on about this. Yeah. So we're going to actually bother to look into it. It's a lot of trust mm-hmm. in a time where I know, at least for me, it's hard to trust other people, which yeah. is what makes the story also extremely interesting. Well, and that's what's frustrating about crime today is that, especially in small towns, they totally forget that they know the person or know who the person was prior to what they're accused of or prior to the event, even the victim prior to. And then they change everything that they thought they knew about this person and make up a totally new person. Do you know mm-hmm. what I'm, I'm saying? That that kind of fits the crime or whatever. I I don't know. It just oh they they make the facts fit the crime instead of looking at the crime oh, yeah. and actually analyzing it better. Right. They and cherry like, pick what they want. Right. It's a human thing, but yeah. Or like they know this person never would have kidnapped a child, but then all yeah. of a sudden they're accused of it, and they're like, oh, of course they did it. I mean, that's a stupid example, but um, also, you know, just the realization that any um, trial or Mm -hmm. they say it's for the truth, but it's never the truth. It's about who can convince you Mm -hmm. of what they say the facts are. Yeah. It's never about the truth or the facts. Unless there's there's DNA involved. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot that goes unsaid too during social groupings. Yeah. I think it's called social loafing. Or that's the act. So you see this a lot with kids that drown in pools where, and they're surrounded by people and And it drowns and then nobody takes any type of responsibility for it Mm -hmm. because um, everyone doesn't feel like it was their job to take care of the kid type of thing. I think that phenomenon is called social loafing when, when (laughs) there's a large group, no one wants to take any responsibility for the thing. Um, I, I think we're getting off base a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So we're we're, we're <laughs> going to direct back to Christina, who has a hometown haunt. Woohoo! And you know, I don't know if this is true crime, but uh, we can get into that. This is uh, from Mary Jo, and she says, "I had an experience at the Frank Lloyd Wright Studio Tour in Oak Park, Illinois. I was standing on the outer edge of the tour group." I was in the very first room and I felt a shove from behind. It was shocking. That place has the worst aura, very depressing, and his history is not impressive as a person. He was a known womanizer and mistreated his wife and kids. No surprise, it's haunted. And that's true. I, I've not been to Taliesin in, I mean, the Oak Park residence I've been to. I didn't feel anything there, but I'm curious what Taliesin in Wisconsin is like because that's where. Frank Lloyd White Wright's mistress was murdered by an axe and her children 
by their oh, butler yeah. who immediately swallowed poison and so they never found out why he did it sounds like he um, might have been paid to do it wow what i had not heard that you know it's mm -hmm. one of those things about frank lloyd wright you know you see all the cute little prints like in catalogs and visit the frank lloyd wright houses and then you go and read a little bit more about frank lloyd wright and it turns out there was an axe murderer in his life uh he was he had like i forget how many children with his first wife at oak park um i want to say six or seven i don't know it was it was a lot and he left his wife and children for one of his clients wives and he she was living in Taliesin, wisconsin and her kids were living there too and they still don't know why the butler murdered them he was not there at the time I forget if he was he was maybe inspecting property. I can't remember the details of that, but it's one of those things when you read the biography of Frank Lloyd Wright that's unexpected. I do believe we should make that a future episode. Holy moly. Well, thank you for sharing that yeah. story. Holy I wow. hate to think who shoved you. <laughs> that's mean. Don't well, shove people. Yeah, you don't show. Ghost maybe, maybe it was the wife. I don't know if she would still be around there. <laughs> I, 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 another woman cannot be in this house. I don't know. It, it didn't appear. It sounded me going. I don't know. <laughs> typical of of somebody that was sort of a personality like Frank Lloyd Wright. He did just move to Arizona with another. Like he always ha had these women. You know, he was married, lived with somebody else and. Arizona wow. and just moved on. I guess. Why, you know? why is that Picasso was like that? He was a huge womanizer. And um, I, why is it why? Just because you're personality with me. Well, it doesn't mean I, I mean <laughs> I don't know if I consider either of these men a genius. I mean, they certainly were good at marketing themselves. Yeah. And and their okay. their work is popular, but you know, this mythos that raises around these men and yeah. you know one thing that people aren't giving credit is the support that frank lloyd wright's first wife probably gave him like a mm -hmm. lot of times these people have mm -hmm. extreme support by mm -hmm. uh like a lot of famous authors their wives read their and helped correct their scripts and mm -hmm. and writings and stuff and were very important editors of their work and were pretty much erased from the the work and oh and you know, this guy's got all the credit yeah mm -hmm. i'm familiar Yes, yeah. and so it's 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 the, this person ends up benefiting from uh -huh. the work of a lot of people. I mean, and you see that with a lot of sort of these genius, you know, a lot of times they they have a lot of help. Yeah, well, yeah. just because like, they have the talent doesn't give you the the um, the right to treat people that way. Yeah, wasn't there like famous composers that took their um female students works and pass it off as their own at one point i have heard some of those one. stories yeah yeah it was somebody but un unfortunately i'm not a classic music person so i'm not remembering off the top of my head but yeah it's just that tends to be a, a um recurring theme people stealing other people's stuff mm -hmm. well yeah, it's, in every, female it's in every industry yeah. True, true. <laughs> Way to go, Mary Shelley. You kept your copyright on Frankenstein. So I know. And it's great to see someone get credit for her work. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> but what is it they said? The the movie that one of the early movies, it was 
like they didn't have her name in the credits it was like mrs whatever her husband's name was was listed no. as the author i just don't and know but yes you know, i, I will have that that looked up for the next episode but yeah. apparently one of the early hollywood versions of frankenstein listed mary shelley as mrs i forget what her husband's name was but yeah all right well, i didn't <laughs> know that that i this has been cat's learning corner during the <laughs> section i have no idea that oak park uh the the frank lloyd wright studio was had such a history and, uh, yeah, well, the, the, the murders didn't happen at Oak Park. They happened at Taliesin in Wisconsin. Oh, okay. Uh, I mean, he started, didn't know seeing, those happened. he started seeing his mistress then. Like, apparently mm -hmm. it was quite a scandal. Like, they were, it was one of those things where it was in all the scandal sheets in the newspaper because he was, like, driving around with this lady and stuff, and his wife refused to divorce him, and it was messy. Wow. Wow. So, that reminds yeah. me, I need to cover the Snook Hicks murders in Columbus, oh. Ohio. Snook Hicks is another haunted true crime story. So, what was the, the woman that was at our event who lived down the street from the house where all those murders were? Yeah, the Rupert Murder House. And oh, that yeah. is an extremely tragic, tragic true crime story that. Yeah, it's been written about a lot, and there's a lot of haunts. And you've never heard of the Rupert House killing at all. Mm -mm. Oh, no. It is it is a very sad story, and it deals with a family annihilator-type murder. Yeah. And, um, it, it, and yeah, it's a, it's a very sad story. No one's been able to investigate the house because it's privately owned. Yeah. And the owners have never let anyone go in to ghost hunt. I yeah. did know some ghost hunters who had gone in once on a tour when it was for rent. Hmm. So they didn't go in for an investigation. They just went in, but they couldn't take any of their equipment. They just got to look around. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like the Velisca Axe Murder House, where it is a wholly um, very Midwest type house. It, it doesn't look like anything that would have... Yeah. anything out of place but then once you know the history of it and who's died there then it gets very just depressing yeah. it's a sad place it's very melancholy so we mm -hmm. we i don't know we can if if our listeners are interested we can talk about the um rupert murders yes true crime we don't tend to talk about too often because mm -hmm. we get teary because things mm -hmm. are sad well and it it can be very um it's about real people sometimes that are graphic. Too. Yeah, it yeah. can. That one's a very graphic murder, and there's mm -hmm. children involved. So yeah, it's not one that I'm too hot on covering, just because one, there's a lot of coverage on it already, and uh, we don't have. It, it's not too ghost story ish. There aren't any real like. Yeah. The the most stories of it are people will see the children staring out the windows if you walk oh. past the house. Oh. Okay. So. Yeah, and shadow people. So, mm -hmm. and and there I've revealed it. That's what the people have seen. So, getting interviews of people who have lived there is tricky. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, they so. probably one remember it, two may know the someone. Yeah. Related. Yeah, they to were it, a problem. Or... The Rupert family was pro not 
not prominent, but they were well known in their community. And it shocked mm-hmm. everyone in the tri-state area when it happened. And it happened on over Easter dinner. So um, wow. everyone was talking Wonderful. about the actual case. So yeah, um, I'll just stop it there. Yeah, I'm going to look that up. We yeah, all have lots of my research. morbid fascination. Yeah, yes. it's a it's a morbid curious moment, definitely. Yeah. Um, but on that note, you can always send us your stories uh, to hometownhauntedmail at gmail.com or you can join our Facebook group, Hometown Haunts, and share your stories there as well. And uh, I have seen that we've gotten a lot of people asking to be a part of the Hometown Haunts Facebook group. And Welcome. We, we see them. Welcome. Thank you. Yay. We're glad you're here. Uh, please share your paranormal stories and just like Mary Jo did your stories about places you go and the odd entities you run into. You can also follow us at Cincy Cabinet of Curiosities on Instagram and uh, just, that just helps stay up to date with everything that we've been doing. And also thank you, Jen, for putting the podcast onto Apple Podcasts and Spotify and also YouTube. And you can just find us by searching Hometown Haunts Podcast. Please take a moment to rate us and review on all those different platforms so that the algorithm can uh, recommend it to other people who are into spooky and morbid history, just like you are. And of course, we have the links to all of our sources, not all the sources, but links that are in the show notes. So with that, I think it's time to say good night. So good night, everyone. Bye. Bye.